Thank you for tuning in to another fun episode with your favorite mask moms, Jennifer. That's me. Hello, Lori. Hi, guys. And welcome back, Juliana. Bonjour. <laughs> you know, I never said that in any of our intros ever. You waited till you got back you to the States. You got back here. You're so weird. Well, That's welcome weird. back. It's <laughs> lovely to have you on our time zone. Nice to right. be here in the morning. Yay. <laughs> well, this week we have double the things to celebrate. We're, of course, celebrating Juliana's arrival back into the United States, but we are also celebrating a awesome guest today to our podcast. Her name is Dina Bacholes. She's the author of the unofficial Harry Potter cookbook. So I'm really excited to change things up a little bit. Usually we're all about Mickey, but Harry Potter is my dude. So um, we're really excited to have her. We absolutely love this cookbook. We're excited to chat with her. Lori, can you tell us a little bit about Dina, please? Yes. So Dina is a food column columnist and a New York Times bestselling author of the wildly popular unofficial Harry Potter cookbook, which is published by Adams Media. Um, crazy. It's over a million copies sold, which is amazing. Um, the unofficial Harry Potter cookbook and expanded edition, as well as the unofficial Narnia cookbook. Love Narnia. Um, <laughs> they she need started a Narnia out- theme park. Right? Oh, that would be so cool. I know everybody has to walk through a big giant wardrobe to get there. See, (laughs) Universal. Universal could put that one in there. Um, So she started out with a degree in English, went to teach teach the subject, and then followed up with an editing job for a magazine publisher. And but today she prefers to cook and write and take care of her family. Um, And Dina is from Philadelphia. Um, So let's welcome Dina in. I feel like we need an applause button. Yeah. <laughs> we need sound effects. Welcome, Dina. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here today. We're super excited. So we have yes. a little bit of an initiation right for all of our guests. <laughs> and you've Uh-oh. been warned. You know what it is. So the first thing you have to do before we get into talking about you is you need to give us a mouska cocktail, please. I have to give you a sorry. Mouska cocktail. Uh, the the yes. drink. Oh, I have to talk about it. Yes, yes please. Oh, okay. Tell us your drink. Did we not warn you? We <laughs> did. I, I wasn't sure you said when you when you said get to give it. So um, sure. Um, I interwebs. <laughs> you know, actually, um, the original edition of the Harry Potter cookbook, which is the one that's available, does not have a recipe for butter beer in it, and. Oh, did I get flack for that? (laughs) Harry Potter Potter fans are serious. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And the reason that I didn't include it is because I was worried about copyright. Um, If J.K. Rowling invented it, then I can't make money off a recipe for it. Mm. So, but I happened to be doing some research and I came across, I don't remember if, I came across it by chance or if I was looking for it, but I found a recipe for buttered beer, spelled with an E at the end, the old fashioned way. <laughs> a, um, I think it's a 16th, 16th century cookbook. And I said, wow, this is so cool. And besides her being cool, it's accessible. I can yes. use this. Um, so was that your loophole? That was my loophole. Awesome. And so when um, I, proposed to my editor to follow up with an expanded edition, um, I included butterbeer. And so that's what I chose for the cocktail for today, um, the original butterbeer. Now, people can't really agree on what butterbeer is. Um, When I was uh, doing research for the recipe, I found lots of online recipes for um, cream soda-like confections or cream soda-like slushies. Um, But... I think that whether J.K. Rowling knew about the original butterbeer recipe or not, the way it's described in the books matches the original recipe the most because it's 
served warm. It's comforting and satisfying. I don't think anyone would think of a, a, a slushy or, or cream soda as comforting and satisfying. It might be delicious because it's sweet and I'm a sugar fiend. Definitely works <laughs> on a hot day in Orlando. I yes, exactly. <laughs> but that's the that's way that they serve at the parks, right? Like a slushy. They serve, they serve so. a hot version also. And the oh, yeah. hot version is wildly popular, but they only serve it a couple of months out of the year when the weather demands it. So I've right. never had the hot version of it. I have. You it's have. delicious. Yeah. It, does it taste like just a, a heated up version of the... It like, does. It's a bit different though. Like I feel like we've talked about like the regular butterbeer at the parks where it tastes more, it does. It tastes like a creamsicle or uh, like apple like juice cream type. Soda. Yeah, cream soda like type cream in there. Soda. And butterscotch. And, and yeah. butterscotch. Like I would say the hot. Yeah, the hot version has more of like a marshmallow taste on the top, like with the foam. And then the actual drink itself, I'd say is a, a little bit less sweet than the, than the initial cold one. So I love Ooh. the hot one. But either way, awesome. what, what we're finding out here is that Universal's interpretation of Butterbeard does not go back to the 16th century. No, it doesn't <laughs> sound like it. Tell us what, so what is in the 16th, you said 16th century? Yes. What is in 16th century buttered beer? Um, so it's, it's, it's beer. Heated beer, heated ale. And um, you, you temper some egg yolks which means you pour some of the hot ale and the beer really into the yolks and then pour it back in so that they don't cook. Right. You know, bits of hardened egg in your drink. Scrambled eggs in your drink. <laughs> and it, has, and it, it does have butter in it, real butter, but it doesn't have a butterscotchy flavor at all and some spices. And that's pretty much it. And it foams up beautifully. I, I don't know if you ladies had a chance to try it. Um, I have not. I I'm scared of the eggs. <laughs> I, I was actually surprised. I, I I was blown away at how good it was. Um, I'm gonna have to. It's, try it's weird it. and good at the same time. I know. I'm gonna have to try it. It's strangely satisfying, and you can't eat anything for hours after. If you eat a whole, if you drink a whole um, portion, you can't eat anything for forever. It's really satisfying. So, um, so I was very pleasantly surprised by that. And it, but it's it's a more sophisticated taste. It's not for kids, right? <laughs> no, which is probably yeah. why Universal went the right. total opposite yeah. direction. Yeah. Of course, that's interesting. Harry Potter's drinking it, right? So the kids want to drink it. Yeah, yeah. In Harry Potter, there is uh, just a sort of a hint that it is mildly alcoholic because the elves can't handle. I remember that low alcoholic content that's in there. Yeah, yeah. So if you were to use alcoholic beer, just like a lager or a Pilsner, like a light? Um, I think it doesn't matter. I think okay. any any kind of beer is fine. Okay. You're um, adding brown sugar and cinnamon and nutmeg to it. It sounds, sounds very like, like with a stout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the brown sugar is definitely a modern innovation. <laughs> I, I don't even know too much about what kind of sugars were available in that time period, I, they definitely had sugar um, because I, the original recipe, I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, calls for it. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I, I would have to look back. Um, I, I, I wrote this, I wrote the expanded edition years ago, but I seem to remember that it did have sugar in it. And I know sugar is definitely mentioned. There's a 14th century cookbook. It was compiled in 1390. Wow. By, by the master chefs to King Richard II. Oh my. And, there are recipes in there that do specify sugar. So they had they had something. They, I don't, did, they had to have something. Yeah. It sounds interesting. It reminds me like of a, well, not really. I was going to say it reminds me, maybe the feeling just reminds me of like that hot apple cider, the mulled cider yeah. and stuff that's all comforting and warm and makes you feel all at home. But you can imagine yourself in in Hogsmeade, you know, drinking. In Hagrid's hut, sitting there in front of the right. fire. Right, right. <laughs> my big cup of ale at 11 years old. Right. <laughs> it sounds like you've done. They're all drinking it. They're, They're all, all drinking it. Yeah. yeah. It's not weird. Well, I mean, it's not unusual in Europe for kids to right. dabble and sample their parents' alcohol. Right. We, we make it weird here, I guess. But... 
Interesting, interesting way to start the podcast. I like it. I it sounds it. like you you were talking about other cookbook recipes mentioning sugar. So it sounds like you've done a fair amount of uh, of research into cookbooks of the past. Was this for the project? Yes. Um, I happen to be fascinated by food history, uh, history in general, but I go crazy about food history. Um, so it's fun for me. And um, one of the, my goals in writing this book was to write a cookbook that even if kids and grownups who picked it up didn't make a single recipe, it would just be fun to read. So I yeah. wanted to include interesting historical tidbits and also give a feeling for the culture of Harry Potter's world, you know, for Americans. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, definitely, right. it's different. It's different than what we're used to as Americans for sure. So yeah. I love the way that, I love the way that the book is set up <laughs> where you have, you do, you have a little bit of history of the food, but you also have like, remember this, this is from the book when Malfoy did X, Y, and right. Z. I Bring love that to too. Yeah. Right. Cause a lot you of the that. books, I mean, I haven't read the books in so many years, I, but I've certainly seen the movies more recent than that. And you forget how much of the books are lost and, and didn't really make that transfer over to the movies. So it's a really cool reminder of like, yeah. I need to go read those books again. Yes. <laughs> the, the food, food in the movies is not as important as it is in the books. It's almost its own character in the books. Like there's just food everywhere. Yeah, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which I mean, which is perfect for a cookbook author because right. it seems like you had, I mean, I was so, again, you know, I have my more recent memory is of the, the movies. And so when I looked at how many recipes were in this, I'm like, how the heck did she come up with so much food? There's really not that much food in there. But like I said, I love that it goes back and it talks about this yeah. is from this and this is from so, this and so my publisher actually wanted more recipes than there was food for uh, I, I found about <laughs> I found about a hundred references which I thought was a nice amount for a cookbook but um they wanted at least 150. Wow. so what I did was uh I, I included as many food references as I possibly could that you know I could legally include and then I took uh, categories of recipes. So if she mentioned that it was winter and the the kitchen um, elves were the, serving up stews and puddings, I went into my into research mode and I uh, tried to find as many British uh, stews and puddings, which means something different in British English than it does in American English. Yeah. <laughs> also, a very interesting thing for me to learn. Um, and I picked the ones that I thought were the, you know, the most appetizing right. and, um, because, you know, the British, they do have some really great recipes, but they also have some really great things. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I picked the ones that I found, you know, the most palatable to Americans and, um, and I, you know, that I could get 10 recipes out of that. You know, Harry's first, um, Hogwarts feast had, you know, it says flavors of ice cream and, you know. I think I think the phrase is in every flavor you can imagine. So I went back into history mode and found classic British flavors like tea ice cream and brown bread ice cream, and um, which was shockingly good. Yeah. Um, and yeah, oh my goodness. Um, well, and then bringing it back to bringing it back to Universal Studios, actually, in Florian Fortescue's ice cream parlor, they always yeah. offer like really interesting. They always offer butterbeer flavored ice cream. But one of the other, they do an, a la, like a lavender tea. They have ice a lavender cream. tea, yeah, yeah, which is always interesting too. That's so the, um, that's in 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 the park. Yeah, in the park. Yep. Yeah, that's in the theme park. So, that but cool. it yeah, it was really good. Yeah. <laughs> and the butterbeer ice cream was really interesting. Also, definitely no beer in that one. <laughs> that sounds delicious. It was really good. It's good. Yeah. It's pretty good. So obviously, like Universal Studios, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter is definitely geared towards the movies. But it sounds like you did most of your research and, and everything based on things 
really from the book because there's yes. more food in the book than in the movies. Yeah. When did you, so it sounds like you're a, you're a food history buff and a foodie. When did you combine that? Like what made you combine that with a love of Harry Potter? What was the spark and, and how did you, well, first, how did you even from the beginning, like how did you become such a big Harry Potter fan? Cause I don't, I'm assuming. Yeah, it was actually pretty funny because um, when I was a very young, when my husband and I were a young couple, and I think we maybe had one kid, I have five. So I think it was like maybe after one, because we were visiting my in-laws and he had a younger sister who was, well, she must've been 12 or 13. And she read really dumb books. <laughs> and um, sometimes I would just pick them up and read them. You know, it, it was the weekend and we have our, um, I'm an observant, Jew, so we have Shabbat, which is a very relaxing day where you just really can't do anything but just relax. So um, out of boredom, I would sometimes pick up her books and flip through them. And uh, one time she had the first Harry Potter book lying around and I picked it up expecting it to be as dumb as the rest of her books. <laughs> I was pulled in from the first sentence. Um, Weren't you so surprised like how taken in you were immediately? That's how I felt. Yes. yes I, it, that first sentence about the Dursleys being very normal, thank you very much. Oh, my um, and I love her writing style. I have a degree in English, so I'm a sucker for good writing. Um, <laughs> the writing is so whimsical and and almost quaint. I loved it. Um, so I just fell in love with the writing style and the story itself. Um, and so I, I started following it. You know, as soon as a book would come out, I, I would be so excited, you know, and, and I would read all the books so that I could remember the, all the plot lines and all the details because one thing that J.K. Rowling did brilliantly was she didn't waste details and things that seemed so trivial and unimportant were actually crucial later on. You know, like Harry Potter breaking that mirror and mm -hmm. the shards are in his suitcase and it ends up saving his life, things like that. Crazy, um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, and in books later. So, um, I, so I, I kind of started to really, <laughs> I, w I was able to like quote passages by heart because I kept rereading them. Um, and sometime after the fifth book had come out, and honestly, this is how it happened. I was just driving around doing errands. I had it was after baby number four. Um, and she was a year old. She was sitting in her car seat, snoozing, and I'm driving back home from errands. And the words Harry Potter cookbook flashed into my brain, just like that. I remember where I was turning. I remember exactly the street I was turning on when that happened. And I, I stopped short, which is and it's a good thing there were no cars behind me because <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, that's such a great idea for a book. So I finished driving home. I stuck her in her crib. I grabbed the first book and a notebook and started rereading and jotting down all the food references. That's insane. Um, like, I that's, know, but I'll, I'll tell you what I think. Yeah. I think the reason it popped into my particular brain, though, is <laughs> that we had literary cookbooks lying around the house. So I think I made that connection. Um, um, we had the Little House Cookbook, which is based on you know, the Laura Ingalls Wilder books. Right. And we also had, you know, the American Girls doll collection. So we had... Uh, an American Girls doll cookbook based on the one of the book sets that comes with the dolls. Mm -hmm. So, and I I always was a foodie, and my passion is writing. I have, like I said, a degree in English. I used to be an editor, so um, I think that's it. Must have been percolating in my subconscious for a while. Well, it I sounds perfect for someone like you, a writer, a foodie, and a Harry Potter fan. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a no-brainer now that you mention it. <laughs> exactly. So um, I, oh, I lost my chain of thought. I'm sorry. But I interrupted you. Oh, that's okay. That's totally fine. I don't think I have any more, um, you know, a vital national interest or something like that. <laughs> that's so awesome. So the thought come came into your brain, yeah. not really out of nowhere, because it does sound like that's such a natural, like, Yes, it was an epiphany, but it was also probably like, well, duh, of course right. it goes together. Yeah, I actually said to myself, somebody must have done this. And the 
first thing I did actually before I grabbed that notebook was to Google Harry Potter cookbook and there weren't and any. no one had done it. When I Googled Harry Potter recipe, I got hundreds of thousands of results. So I said, ooh, this is a good idea because people are looking for recipes. Yes. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Because when I was reading the books, I was curious. Harry Potter seemed to love things made with treacle, like treacle tires mentioned a bunch of times. And I was like, what the heck is that? Yeah. You know? And then I found it in a cookbook somewhere and I tried it out of curiosity. This was before I had the idea. And I got to say, I was a little disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. So did you tweet recipes like that? Like, did you turn? That was the only one. Yeah. That was the only one. But then once I had the idea, then I, I went crazy. So you had this idea and then you looked and then since obviously you were already in the world of editing, did you have connections already or did you just send it out and see if somebody came back? Nothing, nothing. I was an editor. I worked for, for a very brief period of time because um, after I finished college, I taught English for a year and then I worked as an editor for two years. Um, but I met my husband and we got married before I before I started working as an editor. And we had our first baby 10 months after we got married. <laughs> wow. So I continued working until he finished school and uh, and he took over. So I hadn't been in the editing world for years. Okay. And the kind of editing that I did was I worked for an industrial magazine as a, as a copy editor. So I didn't have any connections there, nothing. Um, so I was really, you know, starting in the dark from scratch, no connections. Um, and it was scary. Yeah. Yeah. It was very <laughs> this was the scariest thing. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm sending this to an agent, you know? And then um, when an agent actually called me, I was, I was terrified. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to a real agent. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Let me not say anything stupid, please. But obviously, like like you said, obviously there was a need for it. I mean, with the Harry Potter books were so, so popular. I mean, still decades after the, they were released and the movies came and now you have, you know, you can, you can do tours of the studios in London and there's Universal Studios in Orlando and... It, it, yeah. I'm not just great with publicity. People. I have to be honest. I'm, I'm not. I'm not great with publicity at all. No, but people, <laughs> that's, that's people are dying for it. So there's yeah. uh, there's like this inherent market there. So I'm yeah. sure when these agents contacted you, they they realized that you know what it was yeah, just needs to happen. It was just I got so many rejections. Rejection. You know, my husband was very enthusiastic about it, um, but he said, "I don't know if you're going to be allowed to do it." because of copyright. Um, so I said, well, let's try. And I, I you know, I, I had to have some sample materials. So I had to work very hard and then send out proposals. And I just got rejection after rejection after rejection. Um, and finally I said to my husband, but what am I doing wrong? Like, I thought people would be like, wow, this is great. Let's do it. Um, finally, I got, I got a lot of form letters. Finally, I got a couple of form letters with something scribbled in the margins like, Good idea, but worried about copyright. So I said, so I asked my husband, what do you think? People have written books about Harry Potter. Um, you know, just when when Harry Potter was in the process of being written, the books were still coming out. I don't know if you remember. Um, people came out with predictions of what the next books would hold and people would, and you know, all kinds of analyses about it. So my husband said, why don't you write to one of them? Just see what happens. So I reached out to George Beam. Um, he's the author of, I think it's called Muggles and Magic. Um, and you're familiar because you're not. No, a, no, no, but it sounds like per something perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I, I asked him how he did it and how I could get around the copyright issue because no agents want to touch a, a book that an author that a publisher won't want to touch because of a potential lawsuit attached to it. So um, he wrote back to me and, that was very exciting. A real author wrote back to me. Wow. <laughs> you know, and um, and he was very kind. He, he wrote, you know, a long email explaining all the possibilities and, you know, options and whatever. But the upshot of all of it was that um, I should write a letter, he advised that I should write a letter to the legal team that represents J.K. Rowling and Warner Brothers. It's the same legal team. Um, <clears throat> and he said that your worst case scenario is they'll say cease and desist. And that'll save you headaches down the road. 
And best case scenario is they'll say it's not a copyright issue. And then you're, you can send that out to agents. You can send out that letter to agents. So um, it was actually easy to find the contact information because for the legal team, because there was a lawsuit, a copyright lawsuit going on right at that time. Somebody wanted to write a Harry Potter lexicon and um, JK Rowling was suing him for copyright. Um, and he lost the case. So because it was in the news, uh, her legal team was mentioned. So I knew who they were and I was able to Google them and get their contact information. And I wrote them a letter and I did not expect to hear back. But six weeks later, I got a letter. Um, and the letter said, you can do this. It's not a copyright problem. The only thing you have to do is put unofficial in the title and we have the right to, we're reserving the right to review the manuscript and any accompanying artwork before publication and then you're good to go. Which so, I found out later was very generous of them. Did you it's die like, when you read that? I mean, how did you feel at that moment? I, I, I probably danced around the house. <laughs> I, I, I did that several times over the course of writing this book. So like for example, when I got a contract with an agent and then when I got a, a, a deal with a publisher. So there was a lot of, you know, that's it. I just jump up and down and go crazy. Just like um, jump through a hoop, survive, jump up and down, jump yeah, through jump another hoop. <laughs> yes. So when I, you, I did my little happy jig. And then, when you were um, going through all these hoops, did you ever imagine that it would be so, it sounds to me no. like, like you, you, you kind of knew it was a gem, but you just didn't know if you'd be able to get there. Right. And I was ready to like, Pay a publisher to publish it. I was like, I'll pay you. <laughs> <laughs> you knew this was going to be big. I, I didn't know it would be this big. I thought I would have been happy if it sold, you know, the minimum that publishers look for, which is, I think, 10,000 copies or something like that. And I would be more than that. And, yeah. Yes. And you know, what was perfect is the way, the way that it's been selling worked out perfectly for me because. It's been selling at a very steady rate all these years. So those that over a million copies is distributed over came out in 2010. So it's going to be 11 years in September. So over that period, which was a nice steady income that allowed me to continue staying home. I was at the time that I, I was writing this book. We were very, 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 very tight financially. We we weren't making it. Um, we had four kids. Um, three of them were in private school and the youngest was a baby at home with me. And my husband and I were trying to figure out if it paid for me to work because I would have to pay for childcare. Right. Because editors don't make a lot of money. Right. And, um, and that's when I had the idea to do this. So this allowed me to stay home, to continue staying home, which I really wanted to do. So it was such that's a blessing. Awesome. That yeah. is, that's fantastic. So, okay. So you, you heard back from, from, the legal team, they said that this was a go, you yeah, can do yeah. it. You jumped through hoops. What was the next hoop? So the next hoop was uh, um, sending out that letter to those agents that did express interest but were concerned about copyright. There were three total out of all the dozens of rejections that I got. <laughs> and only one took the bait. And um, the next thing I know, she didn't even... Um, contact me to let me know that she was interested. The next thing I know is I have a letter from her in the mail with a contract to sign. <laughs> so I danced around the house, <laughs> called my husband at work, went a little crazy. Um, I signed the contract. Um, got I can't remember when we talked on the phone. How but, long did you have after you signed the contract to produce a manuscript to have all these recipes tested? And how was that process? So technically, I didn't have to have anything beyond what was in the proposal until I got a deal with the publisher. They give you the deadline. Mm -hmm. But I I continued working on it sporadically. Uh, and, it, you know, this this whole process to get to this agent was a two year process. But it's yeah. because I wasn't working as if it was a, you know, my day job. And, you know, I, I worked on it when I felt like it, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a couple of hours here, a couple of hours there. By the time I got a deal with the publisher, I think I had about 80 recipes. Okay. Which was a nice chunk. And you had to get to 150. I had to, well, I didn't know that yet. Yeah. I didn't know that until, uh, un until my agent called me and said, well, this publisher is interested, but there are a lot of buts. So then how long did it take you to get from the 80 to the 150 once you found that out? 
um, it took me a year. Yeah. But it took me a year because they gave me a year. Uh, (laughs) I really did did all the work in the last six months. (laughs) I would imagine it would take a really long time to develop and test all those recipes. Well, it was, um, the last six months were very intense. (laughs) I bet. Wow. Especially because you're doing all this research about, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. 16th century English recipes that I developed the recipes myself because I didn't want to, I mean, it's it's very easy to palm recipes off other people in terms of copyright. All you have to do is change it a little bit and you're good. Um, I, I didn't want to be doing too much of that. So I wanted to develop my own recipes, which meant testing and retesting and retesting until I was satisfied. Um, you know, so I mean, did you test all of these on your family? Do they just despise English food now? Or are they like <laughs> mad at you forever? They still talk about, they still talk about the chocolate stew. Ooh. The chocolate stew <laughs> was um, uh, beef and Guinness stew. Um, it was one of the, it was in the section of stews and puddings. And I read that chocolate boosts the flavor of the Guinness. And so I should put chocolate in it. And so I think I must have put in like, I don't know, a pound of chocolate <laughs> into the stew because I'm a chocoholic. I can't help it. Um, <laughs> if you're going to put chocolate, you, you're going to put chocolate. I'm guessing that's not how the final recipe turned out. So it wasn't edible. <laughs> <laughs> I slapped it out to my kid's place and they all took one spoonful and spat it out. <laughs> and so I took a spoonful and I spat it out. Okay. I said, I want to eat you guys eat this. <laughs> Were they were they your worst critics, your children? <laughs> um, you know, they actually were very helpful. They really were. Um, and I knew that if I made something and it was gone before I had a barely a chance to taste it, then a winner. I had a winner. Okay. Um, <clears throat> sometimes there was stuff that was really delicious but not publishable. Like the fudge that kept turning it. It was just gloopy. It just kept being gloopy and it kept being gloopy until I figured out what I was doing wrong. You can't go wrong with butter and sugar and, and heavy cream, but <laughs> but it wasn't fudge. Um, so yeah, the kids love that. They love the gloopy stuff. Um, but uh, they they were they were very helpful. And did if they, they help out in the kitchen at all, or just as um, taste testers? <laughs> I hate answering this question because it's so embarrassing. I'm a control freak. <laughs> so I just can't handle cooking with people in the kitchen. And if my kids want to make something, I have to like leave the house. <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. I cannot, I cannot watch them making a mess or, or measuring things wrong. Or, or like I'm this so, way too. So You're the right? kids, the kids were your huge taste testers. Did they have an absolute favorite recipe or two favorite recipes? Um, they were pretty young when I wrote this book. I'm my oldest is 22 now. Uh, so she was, 12 and my youngest was three by the time I was done, I want to say. Um, so I don't remember a favorite. I don't remember a favorite, but they liked all the sweet things. Anything with sugar in it was definitely very popular. <laughs> what about you? I mean, do you have a favorite? Um, that's kind of like asking, do you have a favorite child? <laughs> 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 I, you know, I, 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 I get asked this question a lot and I never know what to say because I really liked a lot of the recipes um, and they were my creations. So I'm emotionally attached to them. Right. But um, like I said before, I am a sugar fiend. So all of the sugary stuff and anything with chocolate in it is great. Um, I mentioned fudge before. I never had real fudge, like real fudge, like made with a candy thermometer. Um um, I keep a kosher diet and um, it's not really, I don't think I've ever seen kosher real fudge. Mm. Um, so I made it for the first time. I tasted it for the first time when I made it and it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a very long time to figure out what I was doing wrong. A was very, the fudge very your long. biggest nemesis? What's that? Was the fudge the hardest one to it make? It was the hardest. Yes, it was. I think I must have made. I think I must have made at least twelve versions. That's um, a lot I kept of patience. Different recipes, and they kept giving different instructions, and I just can't remember what it was that finally did it for me. But 
At some okay. point, even if you that. could remember, that's your secret now. That's top secret. <laughs> that's your, that's your secret. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't remember what it was, but um, the, the fudge is my favorite. And also the toffee, mm. there, there's a toffee recipe in there. Um, I also gained a lot of weight when I was doing the candy recipe. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was for work. I mean, we we get that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to do. It's important. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just have to take one for the team. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, exactly. So, do you have a favorite Harry Potter character now that you've spent so much time getting to know them and their dietary habits? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I had a really good answer to this question. I'm trying to remember what it was. <laughs> um, I had a really clever answer one time. I, I got a written interview once that I, I filled out. I love the written interviews because you can think about it. And then yes. <laughs> it sounds really smart. Um, who's my favorite character? I think, oh, I remember what I said. This was very clever of me. Mrs. Weasley, because she's a great cook. Of course. And she's a mom. And she's a mom. <laughs> and she's a very motherly mom. Jeez. And she has a lot of kids. Sort of like me. <laughs> I know yes. as many as she did, but I, I I've got a sizable family. You do. She's, she's yes, very relatable. Very relatable. Yeah, very absolutely. Relatable. So, yeah. what do you think she would say about your cookbook? Um, I would have loved to be able to have her sample my cooking and tell me how awesome it is because that would be a compliment that would be very meaningful. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That would be awesome. Of course, Mrs. Weasley. Of course, uh, right? I, 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 yeah. I, I wonder how my recipes of her cooking, you know, would really compare. You know. So, what did you get from Mrs. Weasley? What What okay, were so some of I the got items? The, the toffee was from Mrs. Weasley. Okay. Um, there are two fudge recipes in the book. One is Hagrid's treacle fudge that you know glued Fang's teeth shut so that oh. they were able to keep him quiet. You know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The one in my book will not glue your teeth shut. <laughs> that's, good. That's, a good, that's a good disclaimer to have and in there. It probably tastes a little bit better than Hagrid's. And, and the you said the, the, is, what's that? Nope, go ahead. And the other fudge recipe is Mrs. Weasley's. And the toffee recipe is hers. She sent that to the kids at Easter time, giving Hermione only a little bit because, oh gosh, I can't remember why. She, she her father's a dentist. Time. Right? No, there was. Uh, Isn't her yeah, father a dentist? Right. But the toffee was from Mrs. Weasley. Right. And it was because it was a rumor, some kind of rumor. I can't remember what it was. Okay. I don't remember. And Mrs. Weasley believed the rumor, and she was a little bit annoyed with Hermione because of the rumor, I think. <laughs> okay, so any Harry Potter fan listening now will say, You are not a true Harry Potter fan. Go away. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> Um, well, it's hard to remember all the little details that you picked out of there. That's crazy. Yeah, you know a yeah. ton of details. I don't think anyone would criticize. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask, since you were telling us what recipes came from Mrs. Weasley. There what were more. There was like a savory recipes, like um, uh, I have Molly's meatballs in there. Mm -hmm. um, there's a scene where at the ministry that people who are opposed to the Ministry of Magic's doings uh, kind of congregate and secretly. So they're going to be meeting at the Weasley's house. And I think it's Mr. Weasley. He passes by one of the ministry people and whispers to them that they're having meatballs for dinner. So <laughs> that that was my inspiration for Molly's meatballs. Um, there's this the creamy um, onion soup that she, that she pours out of the tip of her wand when Harry comes in the middle of the night in the seventh book, I believe. Um, and uh, I'm sure there's more, but I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot. Yeah. So I'm finding, I don't know if this is toffee related, but I'm finding that um, Rita Skeeter wrote an article in Witch Weekly that made it sound like uh, Hermione broke Harry's heart by going off with Victor Crumb. So she gave her a small Easter egg. That. That's what it was. Yes. <laughs> wow. yes. Okay. The Harry Potter fans will love you instead. No, I, I Google. I Google. Google. They'll love Google. They'll love, They'll Google. love Google. 
You oh, know well, much awesome. more about the books than I. I. I have read them all twice, but I don't remember the details okay. quite like you do. What, so I want to know one more thing about a recipe. What What is your favorite recipe to come out of the very first banquet, the feast, when Harry first goes to Hogwarts? Hmm. I'm sorry to put you on the spot. You could talk about any okay, of them. So I'm going to talk about, yeah, the ice cream. Okay. All the all of them. All of them. I do love good ice cream. Uh, yes. And there's nothing like homemade. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But that is true. You know, I I, I would only make it. It's a pain. Freezing the canister. And then if you want to make another batch, you have to clean it and refreeze it. So after I was done using it for recipe testing, I used it also for the Narnia cookbook which sadly uh, had to be pulled because there was a copyright issue that we, oh, thought, we thought it was resolved before publication, but it turned out there was a miscommunication and it wasn't, and Ugh. we had to pull it. Bummer. Um, it is such a bummer. Um, it was such a nice cookbook. Um, so after I was done with all of, all of that, I kept it for a few years, and then I realized I wasn't using it at all. <laughs> so I gave it away. Yeah, it is but, hard to make yeah. a lot of work. Yeah, but but they were really good. They were really good. I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna yeah. have to be an ice cream maker. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we do have a lot of Harry Potter fans who listen to us because of the theme parks. Uh, if you were to give them some advice from your cookbook, if they wanted to honor Harry Potter in the best way possible, and they were planning this grand feast. What, were, what would be some of the recipes that you would say you have to have these on your table if you're gonna represent Harry Potter? You have to have pumpkin pasties. Ooh. Oh, yes. okay. okay. Everything else is optional, but pumpkin pasties have to be there on the table. Everything else is optional. Well, now, well, now I'm gonna to have to make them. them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not because they're so incredibly, incredibly good. They, they are good. But it's because they're so Harry Potter. They yeah, I mean, you know, pumpkins I, and witches. I mean, it's just that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That it's the whole feeling. It's I do like remember him. I recommend for for uh, um, Harry Potter themed Halloween parties. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's that's a good I love idea. pumpkins. I need to look at these. I this know. Needs to get made. <laughs> yeah, it's unnatural, actually. So, <laughs> So you have, I'm bummed to hear that you had to um, pull the Narnia cookbook. I'm going to look for a black market copy, but um, <laughs> there's a lot of food in that series as well. Yes. And, oh, this was so cool. And this is one of the reasons why I'm sad that this didn't um, make it, because this is one of my funnest things about writing the cookbook was I discovered a quote from C.S. Lewis that said something like eating and reading are two pastimes that combine admirably. And we put that on the back of the book because oh, that was perfect. It was perfect. Yeah. He loved food. He really did. I mean, if you see pictures of him, you could tell. <laughs> he, he just, I mean, he was a, a wonderful person in real life also. I, I did some research on him and I was really a very, very uh, good character. Um, but he loved food and it's all over the books and it's just so you feel so comforted when you read about the comforting meals that some of the, you know, the characters had. And um, I didn't even think of it until my husband was playing the audiobooks in the car. This was after the Harry Potter cookbook was published. Um, and I'm listening and I'm like, oh, I love Narnia. I'm rereading them. And I started rereading them. And I, I, I was blown away by how much food was in the series. And I said, this I mean, is another cookbook. You, Yeah, so that was my next question. I mean, it's sad that that one had to be put to, to bed for now, but do you have any other ideas on the horizon? Like I'm thinking this is a completely different genre, but well, not completely, but Lord of the Rings, there's tons of food in there. Like I'm thinking about the day. Okay, so what happened was um, with the Narnia cookbook was my, I had a different agent for that one and um, he was supposed to take care of resolving the copyright issues and he didn't finish resolving it. And I, we all thought he had, fin he had. So I wanted to write a Lord of the Rings cookbook and I said, I'm just going to take care of this myself, make sure that it's done right. <laughs> and I reached out to the Tolkien estate and 
they said, no way. Like, we're going to sue your pants off. I mean, obviously, they didn't, say it like that. they didn't say it like that. They said it very politely with all their legalese and why all the wilds, you know, right. all the wilds. Right. <laughs> I love to use that word. I just love it. Um, um, so, uh, so I tried again when um, a few years later when Christopher Tolkien stepped down. And I said, well, now that there's like new leadership, maybe you might want to consider this is my tribute to the great British. It's mutually beneficial. Right? When we and, talked to the Disney unofficial Parks Cookbook author, we it was the same. It was like, why not? It sells for them too, right? It brings fans something new. I don't understand why they would say no, frankly. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah and I, they don't want to dilute their brand maybe. I don't know. Um, or they're just very protective of it. Um, so they so they said, sorry, our answer is the same. Oh. And so, yeah, that was very disappointing. Yeah, if you know anybody who has pull with the Tolkien estate. <laughs> I wish we did. <laughs> I wish we did. I was super excited that I, I had that I idea. had really good ideas for, um, <laughs> I had really good ideas for uh, uh, Lord of the Rings cookbook. For well, sure. You know, part of the thing with these, these fantasy genre books is that part of building these worlds is talking about all the great food that they're eating too. It just yeah. it goes hand in hand with that genre. So I yeah. mean. I know they're and, not. You know, I kind of started a trend because after the Harry Potter cookbook came out, um, a whole bunch of unofficial cookbooks came out, The Hunger Games and Downton Abbey, which funny story, um, I, I said, I told my husband this, I said, what about a Hunger Games cookbook? And the very next day, we found out that um, my publisher had contracted with somebody to write it already. <laughs> and the same exact thing happened at Downton Abbey, and it was the same author. And I told my husband, she is living in my brain and taking ideas from my head. Downton Abbey would be a great one. I would yeah, definitely do the Downton Abbey one, but the Hunger Games one. It sounds a little disturbing to me. It, it is a disturbing cookbook. There's a lot of recipes for stuff made with, you know, human raccoons and, and yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, downtown. I wouldn't have been able to do it anyway because, um, you know, with Harry Potter, there are some recipes that I could not test because of my kosher diet. Um, I did hire a local chef to develop those recipes for me. Um, thankfully, there weren't too many of them because I was able to get away with, you know, we don't eat. Um, pork products or, or um, shellfish, right? Mm -hmm. So that I gave over to somebody else to test for me. But we also don't eat mixtures of meat and milk. Mm -hmm. And right. I was able to test those because I just used milk substitutes and um, other kinds of substitutes for, you know, butter or heavy cream. And then I figured, you know, if it works with this, it for sure works with the real thing. And then I just wrote the real thing in the recipe. Yeah. So there were like only 10 or 15 recipes that I had to subcontract out, out of the over 150. But if I were trying to do a Hunger Games cookbook, there's no way I could test those recipes because almost none of the food that they ate was kosher. Yeah. <laughs> and, and not really appealing sounding. So and not very appealing either. I think that's a lot. It was just a novelty. It was just a novelty. Yes. Yeah. 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 Now I'm thinking about the stew that they serve in the, in the hob, and I don't want to eat that. Yeah. <laughs> no. Right. Yeah. And then people said, "Ooh, why don't you write a you know a Twilight cookbook? Do you remember when Twilight was all the rage?" I was just going to ask you about the Twilight because I'm like, yes, that one would have gone really well. So I, I so I started so I read them, and it's not my kind of literature. But vampires drink blood; they don't really eat yeah. anything. So yeah. there wasn't anything in there. Two Bloody Marys. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's nothing we could suggest to you that you haven't already considered. <laughs> I would be happy to hear any suggestions. Anyway. Oh, uh, I have, I'll think on it. Send you an email. We don't want all of our listeners to steal our ideas. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, send me an email. <laughs> but for the listeners, I think um, we do have a mouse tip we could move on to. But um, thanks so much for joining us. Yes, and Thank we you do for having me. This was so much fun. It was Thank very you. fun. I love hearing yes. about the process of you know we're it's launching, so we're building a business, and I love hearing about other moms who are building a business or have built a business. I would call yours a success so yes. far. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. It's really neat to hear your story, and um, I'm excited to start trying some of these recipes. 
Oh, we need to do butter beer. We need to do it soon. And pumpkin pasties. <laughs> and pumpkin yes. pasties. I'm a little more excited about that because tempering eggs always scares me. I, I'm not great at it, but yeah. uh, but I'll have to try. It's really not very hard. It's really not. So you can learn how to do it. Yeah, you can, you I'm can determined. With Dina's I'm, recipe. I'm determined. I mean, I love a butter beer, so let's, okay, let's do it. Uh, well, we have a very easy Mouska tip for our listeners today. The Mouska tip of the day is to go out and buy Dina's book. <laughs> That's a good tip. <laughs> if you have been listening to us for a while, you know that we're all about our food and drinks, and this is no exception. So if you want to combine that with your love of Harry Potter, this book is a must-have. It's sold on Amazon. As a reminder, we are also giving one away this week. We have an autographed copy. Um, we have already posted on our social media how to enter that, and we will do a reminder there. But entry, the deadline is Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern, and then our winner will be announced during our live show on Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So definitely enter, go out and buy the book on Amazon. And thank you again, Dina, for coming today and joining us. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you. So thanks for spending another episode with us. What recipes have you tried from the unofficial Harry Potter cookbook? Share below or on our Facebook page. For the latest news out of Disney and Universal, sorry about the dog, guys. <laughs> Don't forget to visit our blog at mousegamomswithanSblog.com and join our group on Facebook at Disney Planning and Chat by Mousegamoms. Thank you for listening and having a drink with us this week. Tune in every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for new episodes. Mouse Kamams are avid travel enthusiasts and our podcast is sponsored by Kingdom and Cruise Travel. If you are interested in booking a vacation to Disney or any other worldwide destination, be sure to check out the website kingdomandcruise.com and their Facebook page, Kingdom and Cruise Travel. These traveling moms are signing off. And remember... Please stand clear of the doors. Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas. Now it's time to say goodbye to all our company. Here I see. See you real soon. Why? Because we like you. Hey.